own assemblies and that's what most of them just put them online and they can get them whenever they want to, whenever they need them. So we'll try to do that. So verse 12 of uh, Hebrews chapter 5. You need to be taught the first principles. Sometimes that might be true of all of us, but among any group of people, that's certainly true of at least somebody at some level. It is unreasonable to say that all of us have grown as adequately as we might have. That somewhere along the line we have sort of stunted our growth. We have reached a certain level and we've become satisfied with that and so we become complacent in our faith and in our service. We don't need to be that way. The Lord expects more of us. He calls us to better than that. In verse 11, he said, Yeah, I understand you have difficulty in understanding the intricacies of prophecy and fulfillment. And there are passages of Scripture that we will always find a challenge. Nobody, after the apostles, after the age of the apostles, nobody has fully and adequately understood every word in the Bible. We just don't have that kind of mind. The Bible is so deep and so wide that the more you study, the more you realize how much you don't know. There is always something to learn. I have read through the Bible cover to cover every year since 1982. And every time I go through it, I find something I don't remember ever having seen before. We just don't remember all of it. We can't quote the whole Bible. And for most people, if you exert your mind to quoting large passages, Bible or anything else, your mind is focused on the words. And you're not really having the time or the opportunity to develop comprehension of the application of those words. And so, even though we might be great Bible students and constant Bible readers, there's always something for us to learn, some more growing that we can do. And so he says, you ought to be teaching, but you need somebody to teach you where to start. Go back and look at some of the earlier things. <laughs> I was thinking of our firstborn son. And they all probably did the same thing, but he's the one you take all the pictures of, so we still got those reminders. When he sat up and started taking solid food, uh, pureed food, baby food, and uh, you start putting that spoon in his mouth, a lot of it comes right back out, you know? It doesn't stay there. And a lot of it gets on the outside more than it gets on the inside. And so it's kind of a mess when you start trying something new. I remember his first birthday cake. His mother made him a little cake about that big. Sit down and tight your fried in. Half of it went up on his face and the other half on the floor. <laughs> He eventually learned how to eat cake. Carrots, peas, and everything else we're trying to put into it. 
but it takes time. We have to work at growing. Now, you're a little baby, and you're anyways near normal, you're going to grow up, at least physically speaking. But the growing up mentally, spiritually, intellectually, that takes effort. We have to work at that. We go to school, we take the lessons, sometimes they go right over our head, sometimes we learn them long enough to take the test, wipe them out, they don't stick with us. If they're going to stick with us, if we're going to get anything out of our experiences in life, we're going to have to work at making those experiences, understanding those experiences, processing those experiences, and then applying and making use of those experiences for the benefit of ourselves and for others. Well, that's true in just about every thought in life. But the Bible itself can be intimidating. Most of your neighbors probably think that the whole religious discussion is just beyond understanding. There was a situation in a South American country a generation or two ago in which people of various faiths were going around trying to evangelize the country and, and they were confusing the folks so badly because one would say this and the other would contradict it. And somebody would say something else and somebody would contradict it until the government just shut it down and sent all the missionaries home and said, go figure it out for yourselves. When you get it figured out, then come and try to teach us. In essence, that's what they said. That's the way the world sees the Bible, because very often that's the way teachers teach the Bible. They just don't agree with one another at all. But the Bible is a basic, single message. And everything else in these 1189 chapters relates directly or indirectly to that one single message. You ever watch The Sound of Music? Maria's teaching the children, we don't know how to sing. Always so easy. And she says, you know, when you read, you begin with A, B, C. So when you sing, you begin with Do, Re, Mi. Just about everything in life can be broken down into simple concepts like that. And the Bible is certainly no exception. When you teach the gospel, you begin with Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Apostle Paul said in the first couple of verses, When I came among you, I came seeking to know nothing save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Now, is that all that Paul said in all that time he was in Corinth? No. He taught them who is Jesus. What did Jesus teach? What did He do? How can we know that He is the Son of God? What are we supposed to do about it? How do we live accordingly? All of that Paul taught, but it was all focused on, related to that main point, that simple, fundamental lesson of the Bible. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Young preachers have occasionally come visit going to find a new place to preach, just getting out of school. And I walked up once, I guess I was probably a senior in college, went to visit with the church, and then taped right across the pulpit right there, 
was a big sign, oh, I don't know which two letters high, and it said K-I-S-S. You see that, you just want to smile. Well, that's a good thing. Stand up in front of the crowd and start with a smile, right? That's not what it meant. I asked somebody later what it meant. He says, keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> or, if you want to be polite, keep it simple, Simon. But whatever. The Bible can be taught simply. You don't have to have a PhD or two or three of them to be able to teach or read and understand and apply the Bible. There are basic things about it. These youngsters go into school. They learn Tom and Sally and Rover and whatever. And they learn three and four word sentences. But by the time they finish 12 years of school, they're able to relax. You know, well, we used to be. I don't know if we teach that anymore or not. But we're able to handle large and complex documents. But we don't start there. We work our way up. When the Holy Spirit sent Philip to meet with the Ethiopian eunuch, he found the man reading from Isaiah chapter 53, a prophecy of Jesus, but as a clouded prophecy that if you didn't have an explanation, you wouldn't understand it. Philip said, you understand what you're reading? And how can I unless somebody guides me? And so Philip began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. That's a great principle there for Bible teachers or for teachers of anything. You're going to teach your children. You don't start out with a one-year-old teaching him all the responsibilities of parenthood or earning a million dollar job. You start out where he is and you teach him what he can understand today and you build on that tomorrow. Well, if this were a teacher training class, we could start with that and work on that theme for the rest of the hour, the rest of the weekend. That's not my point. My purpose here is to say to you, look at yourself. Don't regret or don't put yourself down for what you don't know. Look at where you are. See what you have. Ask yourself, what, what's my next question? You've got questions. You've got confusions. Deal with them. Come face to face with them. You know, so very often, you know, we've dealt with it so long, I just don't understand it, I can't find it, we'll just put it out of our minds, we won't even worry about it, you know, we'll just go on as if everything's okay, as if we understand it, as if I know what you're talking about. We all do that. There comes a time in which it is very beneficial for us to just face those ignorances and confusions. I don't know. So let's see what I can do about finding out. And we can. Sometimes we just have to know where to start or how to begin, how to take the next step. Peter, in Jerusalem, the second recorded sermon we have of him, chapter 5 in the book of Acts, said in verse 30, The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Well, they knew Jesus. <laughs> they knew they'd killed him. They knew the confusing story about the empty tomb. He didn't have to go tell them all of that. He just said, 
That man, why is that tomb empty? God put him here. God raised, God put him on earth and God raised him from the dead. You've been found fighting against God. That's what they needed to hear. That's where they were at that point. That is what he taught them. When he came to Caesarea, if we look over in the book of Acts in chapter number 10, and find Peter coming to Caesarea, this is a record of the first organized teaching, at least, of the Gentiles. And in that 10th chapter of Acts, in verse number 34, Peter has come. He's asked the man, why am I here? Because Cornelius had sent messengers. Holy Spirit said, listen to them, go with them. Peter came, but he didn't know why. All he knew was the Holy Spirit said, go with these guys. <coughs> and so Cornelius said, let's go on angel. And the angel told me to send for you, told me that you'd tell me words that I needed to hear. And so Peter opened his mouth, and here's how he begins the sermon, according to the record that Luke has given to us, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Of a truth, I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation, he who works righteous, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted with him. The word which God sent into the children of Israel, preaching peace by Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. That word I say, you know, which was published throughout all Judea and beginning from Galilee. Cornelius knew who Jesus was. The history of him, the, the news of him had spread across the country and to bordering nations as well. He didn't have to start that. You know, there's a man born in Bethlehem, went to Egypt, raised in the, He didn't have to go there. Cornelius knew about Jesus, so he starts explaining what all that means. <coughs> God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. For God was with him. And we are witnesses of all these things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom you slew, whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Him God raised up the third day and showed him openly, not to all the people, but to witnesses chosen before of God, even to us who did eat and drink with him after he rose from death. And he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is that it is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and the dead. To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him should have remission of sins. Oh, that's who Jesus is. That's why all the fuss about him. That's why he was so noteworthy and newsworthy wherever he went. God was in him. God sent him. And that's the message. Now I understand. Peter preached the basic, if you go to look at Peter's sermon, it's a tremendous little text to outline here. He focused everything on the identity of Jesus, spiritual significant points of the identity of Jesus. And he showed the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said, I came to Corinth knowing nothing but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, his crucifixion, of course, is the most important point because in his crucifixion, he paid the price for our sins. But the resurrection is significant in that it shows us that it was, in fact, for our sins that he died. That everything he taught us was true. The proof is 
He had the power to come back from the grave. This man is not your average wandering preacher. There's something here to listen to. Every word the man spoke is the truth. So what did he say? What did he speak? Well, he told me that I'm lost in sin. He told me I've got to repent. He told me there's a judgment day coming. There really is a God in heaven. There's a place, heaven. There's a place, hell. There's a judgment day. And there's a rule that you must walk by. Most of the world, most of the people who will ever live will be in eternity in hell. It's a wide gate, a broad way. Many people go in there by. But the way that leads to eternal life is straight, restricted gate, a narrow way. Not too many people take that one. That's a sad thing to consider. I'm glad I'm not God. I'm not trying to say that I have a more compassionate understanding of spirit than God does. He's wiser than I. I don't comprehend it. How can you create man, let him uh, proliferate to seven and a half or whatever it is today, billion people on the face of the earth and watch the vast majority of them go into hell in eternity? But God's focus is on those who want to come to him. And our focus ought to be wanting to come to him and receive the blessings that he has laid up for us. The simplicity is that here I am. God put me here. I turned my back on God. He sent Jesus to pay the price for me. Jesus paid the price, rose from the dead to prove that he's the price for me, and told me what to do about it. It's that simple. And all the rest is hanging on that. When you walk into the into the living room in December, the first thing you probably see is the tree. And then you start looking at all the little things that are hanging on it. Oh, you see that there's a bunch hanging there. When you pick up the Bible, whoa, that's a big book, you know? All that stuff in there. But it's a book, and you see the book. And then you start looking at all the pieces hanging on it. And that's growth. That's study. That's maturing. That's edification. Self-edification for most of us. Read it, study it, process it, understand it, and live accordingly. That message of the death, burial, and resurrection that Peter preached in Jerusalem, it's not the first time he preached that lesson there. It's the same thing he preached back in, uh, on the Pentecost day, recorded in Acts chapter 2. How that Jesus died and that he was buried and that he rose again. In verse 31 of Acts chapter 2, he, sees, uh, he that is David, spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Well, you can't come back from where you ain't been. Spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither his flesh did see corruption. This Jesus hath God raised up. So Jesus was both buried and rose. Back in 23, verse 23, he said, You delivered him by eternity counsel and foreknowledge of God. You crucified him, you slew him, killed him. So Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. That's the basic outline that Peter preached and showed the people that God's hand was in it. And then when Paul 
went preaching in Corinth, Thank you. as recorded in Acts chapter 8, excuse me, in Acts chapter 18, Paul was pressed in the spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is Christ. He started out making tents so he'd have some money to live on. But then friends came and brought some financial support from Philippi and other places. He was able to live on that and he was pressed in the spirit. He was able to give his full time to spiritual concerns and not have to spend any more time making tents. And what he did then was he testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ. How did he do that? Well, by the power of the Word of God. Back in chapter 1 of uh, 1 Corinthians, in uh, verse number 17, <laughs> Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved is the power of God. Well, you, you tell somebody that Jesus died on the cross, but he was the Son of God, and God died? They don't comprehend that. They, they don't understand it. They put it in wrong terminology. And a man came back from the dead, that's just too fantastic. We can't believe that. There's a story told me uh, a member of the church in Pottsville, Alabama, a few years ago. She told how she was shopping, doing her regular grocery shopping. And they came to the checkout line, and there was a long line, and so there was some wait. And she got to carrying on the conversation with the lady behind her. And the lady behind her was struggling with the kids and fussing. She had two little ones in her arms and you can't have the babies in the basket and the groceries and all of that stuff. Can I, let me help you with that. So she offered to help the young mother with her struggles. And got the grocery shopping done and as they were checking out and passing on, the girl turned around just so profusely thankful. She said, I just want to thank you so much. You don't know how much that means to me. Well, she did because she was a mother herself. But she said, well, you know, it's not about me. It's all about Jesus. He teaches us to love one another and to care for one another and to do good deeds. So just give him the credit. She said, Jesus. Who's Jesus? Huntsville, Alabama. And so she says, Jesus, he was born of a virgin according to the prophecy of God. And he lived and, and, lived and preached in Israel. And people didn't want to hear the righteousness that he preached, and so they crucified him, hung him on a cross, nailed him to a cross until he was dead. They took him down and put him in a rock-hewn tomb and sealed it. And three days later, he came out of that tomb and lived again. And the lady, the young mother, was standing there with her mouth hanging up, just aghast. This really happened? A young mother, I don't know what she was, but she's old enough to have two babies, living in Alabama in the Bible Belt of the most biblical country in the world at that time. And she never heard about Jesus. Had never heard that story in her life. There are people like that even today, probably many, many more of them today than there were those few years ago, 30 or so years ago. 
People need to hear that story. That story is to many people, as Paul said here, foolishness. But we understand it's the power of God to salvation. Back there when Peter went to the house of Cornelius and preached Jesus and they believed him, he had those six Jews with him and they went back later and went to Jerusalem and when they did, the, the, the Christians who were there who had been Jews and you know had that prejudice against Gentiles, they said, you went to Gentiles. Jews don't go to Gentiles. You don't go in the house. It's a sacrilege. It's abomination. You don't do that. Peter said, the Holy Spirit told me to. And he told them the account of how all that happened. And in verse number 14, he's telling how the angel spoke to Cornelius and said, send for Peter. He shall tell thee words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Words are important. words of Jesus are eternally important. Paul preached that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. When he went to Philippi, Paul preached again, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt be saved. As recorded for us in Acts chapter 16. You remember the occasion Paul and Silas were in jail? They were in the stocks. Their hands and their feet were in the stocks. You know, the boards that come down and clamp you together. So you're sitting like this. And you can't put your hands and legs together. <coughs> and here they were, singing and praising God. And at midnight, a great earthquake shook. Loosened all the bands. The jailer was about to kill himself, knowing that that was his fate anyway, after his prisoners escaped. Paul said, no, no, don't do that. We, nobody's escaped. We're all here, even those who weren't Christians. Standing there, no doubt, amazed by what had just happened and trying to figure out all this singing and praising while you're sitting in the stocks. He said, we're all here. And the jailer called for a light. And went, and went and behold, everybody was there. And he fell down before Paul and Silas and he said, what must I do to be saved? Why would he ask a question like that? Well, probably he'd heard some of their preaching in the city. Maybe he'd heard some of their singing and praising while they'd been there in prison. He knew they had a message to tell. What about me? How can I be a part of something like a, a God who is that powerful to open all this and keep all the prison? How can I be a man? And so Paul, Paul said to him, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved on the same message for everybody in your house. You know, Jesus said, Go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Same message everywhere to everybody. And so here he is preaching this in Philippi to this Roman jailer. And some people stop right here. It's just inexcusable to read part of any message and say, you've got it all. You get a telegram. Your, your uh, parents are traveling overseas, and you're kind of worried about, you know, are they going to make it? You know, so much danger flying these days. And you get this telegram from Paris and says, you know, you read the first line, it says, we made it safely. We got here on time. And you stop, you go, oh, they made it. Oh, all is well. So you put the thing down, and you turn around, and you go tell the rest of the house, hey, mom and pop made it. Everything's okay. Somebody says, let me see. And he comes and picks up the telegram, and he reads it, and he says, but checking into the hotel, 
Mom tripped over the curb and fell and broke her neck and she's dead. <laughs> That's quite a different telegram. <laughs> Read the whole thing if you want to get the whole story. It's so sad that people want to stop with Acts 13, Acts 16, verses 30 and 31. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Boom, you see? There you got it. All you got to do is believe. That is not all Paul said. They took him home and taught him and his household the word of God. What did they say? Well, they were teaching the word of God. They told them what God told them to preach, and that is... He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. And verse 34 says that the jailer and all of his house were baptized. That's when they were called believers. That's when they were called believers. When they heard and did what God was saying. This, the gospel of the Bible is not simple. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Be baptized into him and go on living with that conviction in your mind. Over and over we can find it. In Athens, Paul preaching the same thing everywhere. Look at Philip in Acts chapter 8. Philip went down to Samaria, what does it say? And he preached Christ to them. What do you say if you're going to preach Christ? Well, what are you going to leave out? Preach everything that we know about it. Again, in 2 Peter 1 and verse 3, we have everything that pertains to life and godliness in the knowledge of him who is called us to glory and virtue. When you have the knowledge of Jesus, what the knowledge? Which knowledge? Which part of the knowledge of Jesus? No, he didn't say that. When you have the knowledge of Jesus, when you know what there is to know about Jesus, then you've got everything that pertains to life and godliness. In other words, two facts, two logical conclusions. There isn't anything else that pertains to life and godliness. You say, what about, well, you know, are there men on Mars? Who cares? It doesn't pertain to your godliness. To your, to your eternal life. What about this and what about that? If it's not in the Bible, it doesn't matter. But in the knowledge of Jesus, you have everything that pertains to life, to, to knowledge, to, to uh, eternal life and to, and to uh, spiritual life and, and eternal life in Jesus. You have everything that pertains to that. If you tear out, for example, the book of Acts out of your Bible, then you don't have everything. You can't eliminate a part of the Bible and still have everything that pertains to life and godliness. You've got to take it all. And there's nothing else. So here's the good news. We've got it all. And we don't have to oh wow, 66 books, 1189 chapters. That's a lot of reading. But when you get done with that, that's all. There's nothing more. Just go back through those and continue to assimilate all of that, absorb all of that, learn what you can about that. Philip left Samaria. He was called to go down that deserted road and preach to that Ethiopian. And uh, verse 35 of Acts chapter 8 says, he began the same scripture preached unto Jesus. He just preached Jesus. He didn't go in talking about all the difference between Israel and, and uh, Ethiopia. He didn't go into the geography, the length of the trip, the condition of the road. 
just preached Jesus. That's what was important. That's how simple it was. And the result of that was, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down the water with Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. When Jesus came near the end of his three years of preaching and teaching, he was assembled with his disciples in the region of Caesarea Philippi, that's around the north end of the Sea of Galilee in the north part of Israel. They were sitting around one day talking, and Jesus said, what, what's the world saying about me? Who do people think I am? What are they saying? Well, different things. You know how folks are. Some are saying, oh, here you might be John the Baptist come back from the dead, Jeremiah, Isaiah, one of the prophets, somebody. Wait a minute. Okay. So I've been around here teaching, doing the miracles, visiting with folks. That's what they're saying. But you've been with me through all of that. Who do you say I am? What are you going to do about Jesus? Well, Peter said, you're the Christ. The Son of the living God. Why would he say that? He said that because the evidence pointed in that direction. Jesus answered and said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. This rock, this confession. You confess me, I confess you on this confession of who I am, I'm going to build my People look at this sometimes and go, oh, God gave Peter a special revelation. Flesh and blood didn't reveal that to you. My Father in Heaven revealed that. Peter just got a special revelation on that occasion. Hey, this is Jesus. He didn't. That's not what it says. That's not the context of the Bible. not the context of the life of Christ. God had spoken at the baptism of Jesus. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Matthew, what, chapter 3, about verse 5. And then on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, excuse me, on the Sermon of Transfiguration in uh, Matthew chapter 17, the first five verses, Moses, Elijah, Jesus, this one is my son, hear him. God had spoken from heaven, but not on that occasion. In Hebrews chapter 2, in the first four verses, we're talking about the gospel that we believe and wherein we stand. That Jesus first brought to us and then was confirmed to us by them that heard him. And then verse 4. God himself bearing them witness both with signs and miracles and wonders which he did by their hands. The miracles that Peter and the other apostles saw and the words that Jesus spoke were the evidence from God that told Peter, this is the Son of God. You don't need a special voice out of heaven to tell you Jesus is the Son of God. These are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Read it in the book. Isn't that an interesting thing? Peter, James, John, all the other apostles, they heard the words. They saw the miracles. They saw the man. They lived with him. They knew him. You might say, well, yeah, it was easy for them. They saw it. Well, you know the expression about living by faith and not by sight? God wants us to live by faith. Look at the evidence, draw your conclusion, live that way. If you have to see it, you know, what do we call Thomas? We don't know very much about the Apostle Thomas, but what do we call him? Doubting 
psalmist. Why do we call him that? Jesus came back from the dead and he appeared to the apostles, but Judas was dead. Thomas was someplace else. He wasn't with them, so only ten of the apostles were there that night. But when Thomas came back in, the other, we saw Jesus. He's alive. He was here. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe that until I can see the nail prints in his hand and put my hand in the place of his side where the spear went. I need physical evidence. Let's just take a look at that in context. I'm not making this up. And I might not quote it exactly right. John chapter 20. I want us to see this in context. I'll start with verse 26. After eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. And then he said to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hand. And reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Now look at this next verse. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen, and yet believed. It's more blessed to believe without having to see the physical evidence. Read on. And the next words in the gospel are, and many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. I think we've quoted that in every lesson today. It's important. John said, look, I saw the miracles. I believe him because of the miracles. But the miracles are going to stop. At the end of this century, there won't be any more miracles. But the world is going to go on. And people still need to be saved. You're just going to have to look at all the evidence and weigh it out and consider. In your own mind, you decide. Can I believe this or not? Is it true or is it not? What should I do about this? Those who believe and obey are those who are saved. You can learn it from what is written. You have everything you need, as Peter said. Everything that pertains to life and godliness is in the knowledge that we have of Jesus. And the only place to get any knowledge of Jesus is in the pages of the Bible. The apostles went everywhere, daily, in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to preach Jesus Christ. That was their focus. That was their message. That was all that was important. Everybody else in the whole church, when the whole church was confined to Jerusalem, persecution scattered them out of the city. And they were scattered abroad, the went everywhere preaching the word. Acts 8 and verse 1. Chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul said, It's not with excellency of speech or wisdom that I came to you, but I came seeking to know nothing. I was determined, Paul says, to know nothing, save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Even as we assemble together on the first day of the week and worship God in the eating of the Lord's Supper, what is the point? What is the value? What is the purpose? What is the focus? Well, the focus, of course, is the sacrifice of Jesus. 
That was important. Not his resurrection, not his teaching, not his miracles, his crucifixion. All the rest of that was to show that that death was significant, was important. He paid the price for us. And Paul, in teaching the church about the Lord's Supper, said, as long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you just show forth the Lord's death till he comes. We are pro proclaiming to the world and reminding one another, Jesus died for you and me so that we can be in heaven. He died for you. Are you living for him? Are you walking in the light? Is the blood of the sun going to you more your sin? Jesus rose from the tomb to prove that he has the will and the power to save you from sin. To prove that there is life beyond the grave. Are you ready for that life? If your grave should open today, where would you be? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The whole Bible is written for the single purpose of urging you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And then urging and teaching you what to do about that. If you're not a Christian, obey the gospel. What does that mean? The good news is salvation is in Jesus. Well, how? By the steps he has outlined. Believe that he's the Son of God, repent from sin, confess your faith in him, and be baptized in him. You've heard this, you know this. If you haven't done it, why not now? And if you have done it, have you risen to walk in the of life, or have you just risen from that baptism to sit there and smile and say, got it done now? You haven't got it done. It's not done until you stand with Jesus face to face. If you haven't been following him, why not correct that and come to him right now while we stand and say this song? 154.
closing song in just a minute and he'll call on somebody for prayer again thank you Al for these lessons today and we look forward to tomorrow Lord willing uh, wouldn't want to be any other place tomorrow morning uh, so we can fellowship worship God praise his name